Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Riff Heart Podcast. Our guest today is John Five, who is a legendary guitar player and songwriter that is a renowned solo artist as well as the guitar player of Rob Zombie. He's also been known for playing with people like David Lee Roth and Marilyn Manson. Just a very, very prolific career. His eighth solo album, Sinner, is being released on October 29th. You should check it out. But for now, let's get this conversation started. Here goes. John Five, welcome to the Riff Hard Podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. When you think about how you define yourself, like your identity as a guitar player, do you see yourself as a musician, as a solo artist, um, as a sideman, or just someone who just plays for the opportunity or for the uh you know, the project that's in front of them at that moment. Sometimes I'm a sideman or sometimes I'm a session guy or sometimes, you know, I'm doing my own thing. So I always refer to myself as a musician and a guitar player, you know, because that's who I am. And uh, I never try to be anything I'm not. And trust me, I've had Many times people were like, hey, why don't you write some lyrics or why don't you try singing or why don't you try acting or something like that? And I'm one of those people that is very honest with themselves to know my strengths and weaknesses because a lot of people will go out there and they think, oh, I can do this or I can do that. No, 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 no. That's not the case with me. I know I can play guitar, I can write music, and that's about it. But, you know, one thing definitely you will not be hearing from me is lyrics or singing. So I, 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 I keep that to the uh, amazing singers I've worked with and the amazing lyricists I've worked with. Because what would I write about? You know, guitar playing, kiss. <laughs> I think it's really, really important to have a defined self-identity and to be honest with yourself about who you are. I've said this before, but I think that lots of people getting into music or any creative field suffer a lot because they aren't honest with themselves about what their talents really are. Um, because sometimes what they want out of it doesn't align with their talents. And if they were to just shift their focus over to what they actually are good at, they would have a, you know, they would have a much easier time with themselves and then, they would probably do a lot better in the world. I think it's very, very important to know who you are and uh, what you're actually good at. And so I'm wondering, is that something that you had to work on or did you just know this? Like it was just baked in at an early age. Okay. So, you know, when you, you can like ride your bike and you're like, Oh, I'm pretty good at riding bikes or I'm pretty good at throwing a football or pretty good at catching a baseball. That's how I was, which I wasn't good at any of those things. I knew, oh, I can play uh, this song, or I can play this Hendrix song, or I can play this Ozzy song. And I knew that I was pretty good at it. So I knew I, I, I you know, even if someone loves like basketball or something, they're so into basketball, but you know what? They're just not great at it. And you have to be honest with yourself. It doesn't matter yeah. how hard. I mean, you can work at it really hard and you can get good, okay, at anything if you really work hard at it. But 
at an early age, I was like, oh, I really love guitar. And luckily, I can, you know, do these things and do these things. I had that coordination. And luckily, I knew early on and my parents knew it as well that, oh, okay, he's got this coordination and he's got this drive for the instrument. And luckily, it worked out. But it's funny when people are like, you know, let's say they're a great uh, singer and they're like, I'm going to play guitar now because I'm a great singer. And they're like, and it's like, um, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's <laughs> funny, but you know, I, I don't have that much courage, if you will. Now it's the world is your competition. And not only do you have to have talent, but on top of that talent, you have to have such extreme hard work and such drive and such hunger. Now that's half of it. Now the other half is you have to be a good person and you have to have, a, you know, you have to get along with others. That is such a huge, massive part of it as well. You have to keep, you know, your look going. You have to look good. And all these things, it's, a, it's an amalgamation of all these. It's like a pie. Yes, yes. And it's so imperative, especially the getting along with others, because there's some musicians that are incredible musicians, but they're really hard to work with or something where people are like, nah, I don't know if I want to go through that, you know, because I got to live with this person on the bus and blah, 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 blah. Ah, let's go with this other guy who's really good and he's a really great person or something like that. So there's so many different aspects to getting a gig or joining a band or something like that. It is. And very few people have that everything. I'm not saying I do, but look at Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen is a perfect example of someone that had it all, or Jimi Hendrix had it all, or people like that, that can write music, that are amazing musicians, that are very nice people. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't know Jimi Hendrix, but what I've heard. And, you know, people talk, you know, right away and say, oh, yeah, he's a great person. But, you know, things like that, it's it's such a huge, huge thing. So, yeah, to answer that question with my long-winded answer, but I think it's not just talent. It is absolutely hard work and the other things I spoke of as well. I have this other podcast where we talk to producers and when we're talking about, you know, what it takes to actually get to high levels, everybody says that your personality is one major, major part of it. Your people skills and your personality, your ability to hang out and just be a normal human. In addition to, you know, obviously knowing the engineering side inside and out and being really great at that. It's almost like that's that part of it is assumed, right? Like uh, same with being a guitar player. If some massive artist is calling you in for an audition or something, it's assumed that you can play. Otherwise, you wouldn't be even getting the call. I think it's the other stuff that people need to find out for themselves and see if there's chemistry, see if uh, they can handle being in, in your presence or any of that stuff. It's huge. I think producers have a hard job because they have to tell the artist, hey, it's not great. 
or you could do better or it's not the, you know, I know, you know, how about let's try something else. And that artist has to be comfortable enough and secure enough to say, okay, cool, let's try something else. Instead, there's a lot of people are like, no, it's fine. You know, I think it's good. Let's move on. And that producer is just trying to do his job of trying to say, hey, let's try something else. Or, hey, how about trying this? That just to artists, you know, it's it's tough for producers. Well, yeah, it's tough because there's all different types of people who you'll end up working with. Some people respond to super positive feedback like, you know, hey, that was really good, but I think you can do better. Some people want to hear, God, dude, that fucking sucked. Come on. Yeah. Some people, you know, want something in the middle. A producer needs to know who they're working with and what they respond to. Because, you know, if you have someone that's very sensitive to criticism and you tell them that fucking sucked, that might be, that might be it for the day. That might be it for the week. Absolutely. And I love working with other people because I don't know all the answers and I'm comfortable enough to go, Hey, I don't know all the answers. Like if I'm working with my producer, he'll suggest something. I'll be like, Oh my God, dude, I would have never thought of that. What a great idea. And I give credit where credit's due. I'm secure enough to do that. And I'm lucky because deep down inside, I'm not like, or anything like that. I love it. I'm like, whoa, dude, that's a great idea. Awesome. Because they're just trying to make the the record as great as possible or the session as great as possible. And I love working with producers and other writers and collaborating. It's one of my favorite things. One of the greatest feelings, in my opinion, I'm curious what you think, is when you are working with a producer or a mixer who is uh, mixing your record and either they give you a mix or present an idea that is so far beyond what you would have imagined, but it's so awesome that you get to hear it in a way that you just didn't, you just didn't think possible, but better than what you thought possible. One of my favorite things. It's incredible. That's the time where you're like, I would have never thought of that. And it sounds awesome. So I've always been like that. And I think that's why I work with so many artists is because I don't think I've ever gone, no, 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 no. My idea, it's got to be this. I, I don't think I've ever done that. Like with Rob, when I'm writing with Rob, he'll know we have a joke. You got two minutes. <laughs> and we have that joke because if he doesn't like it right away, we move on. And I'm good with that. Two minutes is a long time. Yeah, to cut a song. Yeah, that's generous. <laughs> and that's how we work. He'll be like, no, 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 I like that. No, no, no. And which is, which is good. But I've never felt like weird about it or anything with any artist, you know? So, and that's, that's good because a lot of people, their ego can't take it. Luckily, I, I don't have a problem with that. As a producer, one thing I noticed is that working with the more veteran artists, they tend to be cooler about everything because they've been in the situation. They're just chill about it. Working with smaller bands or baby bands or, you know, people that are green, they tend to have the most nerves and problems associated with those types of things. So I'm curious and Brown's curious too. Is, is this something that developed over the years? Like you have a, 
amazing career. So there's obviously got to be some security that comes with it or confidence, but, or maybe you always had that. You know, I've never worked with any buddy that's been like very difficult or anything because everybody's cool where they'll hear your ideas and if they're good they know it's good or if it's bad they know it's bad but if because they hear it and if they hear something they can sing over that's great but if they don't then they move on (laughs) what funny you know funny things working with david lee roth so much he knows exactly what he wants And there was one time that I still make jokes about this with my friends. Like, I'll be playing guitar. And there was this one part where I was playing acoustic guitar and we're playing and he's in the control room and I'm watching him and stuff and things like that. And I'll be playing. And he goes, "Uh, John, give me more elbow. (laughs) And I'm like, more elbow? (laughs) Oh, okay, Dave. Okay. More elbow coming up. And I'm thinking, more elbow? What does that mean? But okay, here we go. So I'll play and I'll play like, you know, maybe a little harder and stuff like that. But it's funny because sometimes with uh, some other people that I tell the story and they're tracking, I'll be like, give me more elbow, <laughs> give me more elbow. And so things like that. But I've never really had a, a problem in any kind of recording situations. I've been in recording situations with other people where they're having a hard time and there's arguments and things like that. But Knock on wood, you know, I've never really had any problems, you know. That Give Me More Elbow story. Isn't that great? It's great. <laughs> it should be a song. And it also, it brings up something that uh, I think you probably have had to learn how to do. I mean, so from a producer's standpoint, something that you have to really know how to do is how to interpret what an artist wants. Because when they say they want something, like, let's... For instance, make it sound like it's in space. Well, it would sound like nothing if it was in space. So you don't, that's not what you actually mean. So you have to interpret what they mean and figure out what it means musically. And I'm sure that when you're playing for an, for an artist, you're working with one of these great singers or whoever you're working with and they want something, they might not say it to you in guitar terminology and you have to interpret it. Yes, you are so right. And then even let's say you're the producer and you said, make it sound like in space. Just like you said, right away, I would think, okay, let's use a space echo or let's use a really cool long delay, maybe with a slide, you know, something really trippy and and, and things like that. That's what I would go for. You're exactly a thousand percent right. It's what people sometimes describe and they're like, make it sound dirty or gritty or, you know, or make it sound very, you know, this or that, like this artist or like, you know, maybe the, the bridge of hang em high. And you have to know all these things right away. That's why I like to work with people that I love and know their catalog and really respect, you know, because I know exactly what, what they've done their whole life and I've known what they do. So it's, um, I think I've had a lot of good luck that way. So like you're speaking a common language. Mm -hmm, Exactly. Have there been, and not naming names, but have there been situations where you've had to interpret things like requests and you actually don't know what they mean and then 
you have to go through some sort of process to figure it out. What would that process be if, if you don't know what they mean? Now, I'm not saying that my, all my ideas are great by any means, but I've never had a situation where it's like, I don't know, never. Thankfully, I've always been able to give them the artist or the session what they needed. Thank God. I mean, that probably explains a lot. Yeah. Do you enjoy being in the studio as a session guy? I love being in the studio. Then, if I've been in the studio too long, I love to play live. It's just like if you're like home for a long time. Here's a better example. It's just like if you're eating a certain kind of food for a long period of time and you're like, oh, well, I really am psyched to eat this other kind of food. You know, I'm looking forward to it. It's that same thing. So you kind of like, you love it. You love like burritos and you're eating burritos for a long time and you're like, I love these burritos. But then you're like, I'm getting psyched for this pizza over here, you know? <laughs> so that's kind of how, it, how I see it, you know? That's a terrible analogy, but now I'm, now I'm hungry. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that sounds that sounds pretty good. <laughs> Actually sounds really good. The thing I'm wondering, though, about when playing a session is you've got a very unique identity, very unique style, very recognizable. When you're playing for somebody else, right, not a solo record, when you're specifically writing with or playing for somebody else. Are you uh, thinking about retaining your identity or is that just something that if they called you, they kind of know what they're getting. Same way that like if in some weird world where like Ingve was a session guitar player or, you know, played in lots of different bands, you know, if you call Ingve, you know what you're getting. Do you think it's that sort of thing? I think it's, that's who you are. That's when you pick up a guitar, it doesn't matter what guitar Ingve is going to pick up. He could pick up a Les Paul. He could pick up a 335. He could pick up an acoustic guitar. It's going to sound like Ingve because that's who he is. And that's what his, you know, that's his soul and his hands and, and things like that. So, which I think is wonderful. And that's one of the great things of having is to have your own style. That's something that's, oh, well, that guy sounds like Ingve or that guy sounds like Eddie Van Halen. But to have your own style, I think, is, is uh, a very, very imperative thing. I have a theory. I mean, there's no way to prove this, but I have a theory that to have your own style or sound, it's not something that you necessarily have to work at because it's your personality. What you need to work at is just getting good at the instrument, getting good at writing, getting good at, you know, knowing the craft of everything, but the personality side of it, that's already in you. That's like you said, it's who Ingve is. Um, you don't have to try to be yourself. And so when, whenever people have asked me or asked friends of mine, you know, how do you develop your own sound as a mixer or as a guitar player or whatever? My thoughts are, don't worry about it. Just worry about get, getting really good. You're already you. You have all you need already in you for making your own sound. What you need to do is just get good at the instrument. I'm curious what you think about that. That's exactly what I think. I think you had a great question and a great answer, and I think that's exactly it. Just worry about 
you know, uh, polishing your craft. Just worry about being great at what you do. And it is two different animals being in the studio and playing live. It is so different, as you both know. Even just turning your pick a little bit or just turning your fretting hand just a little bit, it could mean a world of difference. But doing that live will not make any difference. You know, you'll never be able to tell that minimal difference live. But in the studio, it could become a world of difference. And I try to play a game with myself when I'm playing live to see how perfect I can get it. I don't think I've ever told this story, but I think everybody is older now and a lot more mature now that I can tell the story. But when I was playing in Marilyn Manson, um, there were times where other members messed up and they would blame it on me. What, you fucked up the drum fill or something? Right. No, no, no. Like, you know, if something got messed up, they would blame it on, oh, yeah, John, no, you had blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking to myself, and I was playing this game with myself before anything. You know, when I was in high school, I would play this to see how well I could play live. So what I did is they blamed me again. And I was like, man, I have an idea. And I went out to the sound man. And this is when there were dat tapes. And I said, Brad, his name is Brad Maddox. I said, Brad, can you please record the show? And you know, shows would go by and he would record every show. And I even paid for the dat. So I had, you know, all these different shows. Sure enough, happened again. Oh, you messed up this part. No, I didn't. Check it out. Boom. And I would play it. Receipts. And I'd play the song. It was, oh my God, did everybody get mad. <laughs> but it, it's just important because all I'm trying to do is make whoever I'm working for sound as good as possible. You know, you're never going to hear me doing, you know, sliding arpeggios in the middle of, you know, more human than human or something like that. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do string skipping in, you know, the beginning of uh, Thunderkiss 65. All I'm trying to do is make that artist sound as great as possible. The how well can I play live game how did you play that game before you were able to record the shows? Like, say, you said you were doing that in high school already. So how did you know that you were accurately assessing yourself back before you could listen to a recording of it? I knew it here. You know, you guys can relate going, oh, that was a really good show. And you kind of know in your brain. But now what I found out is that in my brain, I was like, oh, that's a really good show. But nowadays you have people like this recording the show. Yeah, filming you. Yeah, for people listening, he's holding up the camera. Holding up the cell phone, yeah. And I love it. I promote it. I'm like, if you have a phone, take it out and use it and put it on YouTube. Because there's a lot of people that can't get to the show, that can't afford it, that maybe are not feeling well and they can't see the show. So I'm like, get your phones out because we're confident enough to, you know, to have a great show because we rehearsed and we worked our ass off to have a great show. So the, uh, basically the trial by fire of it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I love it, you know, and especially with the instrumental shows, man. It's like, ooh, are they going to crash? 
you know, because it's a lot of notes and there's not really any improv in the show. It's all those songs are played note for note, you know, and I think there's an art to that of playing live. I think it's really important to do that and it's unbelievably difficult. So um, I love that when people are recording. Sometimes they're a foot away from me like this, you know, like right really close, really in your face. But I'm okay with it, you know, because I like it. When people go on YouTube, they're like, oh, wow, this is really good. And we work so hard to get to that level. And I think it's, I think it's really important to try to sound as good as possible live and to play as, as good as possible live as well. You know, that difference that you were describing, the difference between live and in the studio, like angling the pick slightly in the studio makes a massive difference where live doesn't make any difference. It's almost a difference between stage acting and film acting where, you know, for film, somebody's tiniest facial expressions could right. be everything. Whereas in the theater, they have to approach it differently because they're projecting to a room. So what I'm wondering is what are the things that you focus on differently when prepping for a tour versus when prepping for the studio? Prepping for a tour or a show, I like to get everybody at the same level, like volume-wise, first off. I don't want anyone to be louder. I want it to be such a great mix where people like, and I really work on that a lot, even with drums or, you know, with the volume of the bass and the volume of the guitar. I want it to sound really good because sometimes I've have been doing shows where it's so loud and I'll, after the song, I'll say, please, can you turn it down? You know, and I know it sounds ridiculous because you guys can relate. How many times have you been to a show where it's <laughs> painfully loud and you're like, I'm not even enjoying this. This is, yes, this is ridiculous. So I say to the sound, I'll tell the sound man, hey, can you turn it down a lot? And they'll do it and the crowd will clap and they'll like it because you want to give the, the audience a great experience. We don't hide behind volume. You know, we don't do that at all. We want to make it comfortable for everyone, you know, and I think that's, that's one of the most important things of doing that. And you don't want the bass too loud. You don't want the guitar too loud. You don't want, you know, anything. You just want it just right. And that's, and that's hard to do. It sounds like it would be easy, but it's not. And um, whenever we're doing a soundtrack, we do a real soundtrack where I have my tech and other people that I trust say, hey, how does it sound? Does this need to come down? Does that need to come down? And that's why our, you know, sound checks sometimes take um, a little while. We're just trying to get it just right for the, for the audience, you know? And even when you're in a room with subs, I hate subs. I, I hate subs so much. Here's why. When you're at a venue and it's like boom, boom, and it just eats up everything. Mm-hmm. It eats up everything. And you're thinking, oh, cool subs, man. This is awesome. You know, yeah, you could feel it. No, no, no. It's eating up 
everything the vocalist is doing or the guitar is doing or the bass, especially the bass, you know, it just, you can't tell what's going on because you hear this mm, thing. But when you turn off that sub, it sounds so good because what I know, and I don't know much about sound, but just out of being a listener and a audience member, a sub even when you're in the movies, a sub is very low. It's not loud. And it just, you just feel it little places and things like that. But like, you know, you guys have pulled up to a car that has massive subs in it. And all you hear is the 808. You, all you hear is that low end. You don't hear anything else. And it sounds ridiculous, I think. So <laughs> when you're at a venue and it's just like these subs are going off, it sounds terrible. Like these massive venues that we play with Zombie. I'm like, turn the subs down like 80% and it sounds so much better. Everyone's like, oh my God, that sounds so much better, you know? But they just, I don't know. That's what my experience has been. For shows, it's like all about the big picture. Whereas in the studio, it's all about the tiny details. Yeah, exactly. Because for shows, it's all about the big picture. It's all about the big, loud sound or it's all about the big visual. It's all about the, you know, but when you're in the studio, it's like, oh, did you hear the end of that Zeppelin song? You know, you can hear the amp buzz. You would never hear that, you know, like in a huge arena, because I know everyone's going to be recording and we've all done it. You know, when you watch something on YouTube and you're like, oh my God, what, what song is that? That's a, what is going on? Yeah. As like, and you're like, and it's not my doing, it's everybody. I'm not saying, oh, I'm great for doing this, but it's me, the drummer, the bass player. I just watched something the other day of us playing something live. And I was like, my God, that sounds so good. You can hear every single note. And I was so happy about that. I was so proud of that. And this is like a live recording from a cell phone. You know, and that made me so happy. Another weird thing is, <laughs> this is a hard one to believe, but uh, when I do my instrumental stuff, we don't bring a sound man. We don't have a sound man. We use the house sound man. And here's my reason is because nobody knows that board better than Jimmy the sound guy, you know? who works it every night, he knows what knob is, doesn't work. He knows which one has beer in it, so he's not going to use that one. Nobody knows better than that guy who works that soundboard every night. He's like, there you go. Sounds great. And it's not like we're, you know, it's just make sure everything, you can hear everything, you know? And, that, and, it, and it's been amazing. It doesn't matter how many big tours your sound guy has done. When he gets in front of that board, he's going to be like, okay, so let me get this straight. This, that, okay, that part doesn't work. That, And he'd be, you know, it doesn't matter. But the guy that runs it every night knows exactly, he knows that speaker up there doesn't work, you know? So he's going to tweak it a little bit on that side, you know? I think a real crucial ingredient in that equation, if you're going with house sound, is that 
the band has to be like a partner in that sound. And I think a lot of bands aren't, which is why a lot of bands will have horrible experiences with house sound. Um, but I think that in the case where like you're describing, you guys put a lot of time into sounding awesome already and are very, very hands-on with that. Then you're basically presenting something awesome to the sound guy. You're basically handing it to him on a silver platter. I think a lot of bands don't know how to make themselves sound good and they need the touring sound guy that knows all of their inconsistencies and problems because the house sound guy won't know what to do with it. So I definitely think that it's possible because of the work you do. There's been so many times where I'm like, I'm way, way, way too loud. You got to turn me down because when the crowd gets there, they know, okay, this guy's too loud or that guy's too loud. They know it. But I want to say this has been maybe one of the best interviews and so much fun that like it's been. Oh, thank you. Awesome. Because this is things that people need to talk about, you know, <laughs> and want to hear. I would want to hear. I mean, I would want to hear this stuff from artists and things like that. And it's been like just such great questions and such a great interview. I really enjoyed it a lot. I appreciate you taking the time to do it. And just, you know, I figure if someone just goes off of a press release or goes on YouTube, they can answer the stock questions are already up there. Exactly. Like who cares? Exactly. You've said it a zillion times. It's not the year 2000 anymore where you can only find out about artists through like a few magazines and maybe MTV, maybe possibly all the info, every interview they've ever done. It's all there. So it'd be boring to talk about that. Yeah. But I do want to say about the record that I have coming out sinner, which is out October 29th. So proud of it. It's like, you know, just something I'm very proud of. Like during the pandemic, me and my producer, Barry Pointer, we got together and we just worked this whole thing out. And I'm so proud of this record because it's just who I am. Like we were talking about before, just honesty and so much hard work was put into this record. Surprisingly, it was picked up by a major label. And I was like, you know, and I get offers, you know, for record deals but this label, Big Machine, they totally got it. And I'm so, so lucky and fortunate that it is. And this is just guitar instrumental music. And this label is massive. You know, they have the biggest artists in the world on this label. And I'm like, you know, there's no singing, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, but they get it and they... They, their exact words is we want to be in the John 5 business. And something that I started doing so like primitive and just my first instrumental record, I just gave to my friends and for Christmas and things like that because it was just fun that it's turned into it being released on a major label and getting to play all over the world. I mean, it's been a dream beyond dreams. It's like something I would have never thought of. And uh, I'm just, you know, worried I'm going to wake up one morning. One thing I noticed when I heard it that stuck out to me is how confident 
the solos sound because like they are dry and up front. They're not hiding behind anything. And uh, that's very cool. They are dry. And some of them, some of them, let's see, three out of the 10 songs have no distortion. And you can't even hide behind distortion. You know, like that How High the Moon, that wasn't easy. It's just the obsessive practicing that I love to do. And uh, I have so much fun with it. And I'm just so lucky. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful to be doing interviews with you guys. And I'm thankful to be, you know, playing music. And I never take it for granted. That's for sure. And thank you very much for taking the time to do this. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Ed, it's been my pleasure. Thank you.